Hello and welcome to another episode of Telling Everybody Everything. I did not watch the Golden Globes because my two-year-old son Fred has had an ear infection. Well, it was just diagnosed as an ear infection yesterday, but he's been sick since Friday night. He sort of started writhing around, not sleeping properly, and I thought, uh-oh, I imagined it was viral for a couple days. I'm not quick to jump the gun and seek out antibiotics. They are ineffective with the virus anyway and will make your child more resistant to antibiotics if they actually do need them. So never run to the doctor to get antibiotics. However, he didn't get better. He started getting, uh, I mean, we had a brief window of sunshine day one and a half. He was responding, I think, to ibuprofen. And then he just got worse. And after day three, if a virus is not improving in a toddler, it's getting worse. And their temperature is consistently high. Then you have to go. And my husband, I mean, he loves Fred and he's such a great dad, bless him. But he wanted to go to the emergency one time because Fred had a peanut butter sandwich stuck to the roof of his mouth. So, I mean, you can't really take his guidance on when it's time to go see the doctor. (laughs) Um, Day one of any sniffle, he's like, hospital. I don't really know where that comes from. He's a bit of a catastrophist. But we meet in the middle and we took Fred to see our wonderful Dr. Fang, who I love and who you will become acquainted with when I appear on a TV show soon on BBC One. She's like a little special guest on it. But anyway, I don't know if that's announced if I'm on it. So I just won't say what show it is. No, I mean, there was a huge live audience. It's Michael McIntyre's big show. And he used my phone to do text to all. And Dr. Fang, bless her, hot on the button, text right back. And she's a wonderful person and a great doctor. We saw her. She looked in his ear. I had looked in his throat and his ears, but I couldn't really see because he does have a lot of earwax. He is his father's son. And she could see in one ear, it's red. He has an infection. She could tell by his heart rate, antibiotics. Two days into antibiotics, he's feeling better. I have not slept since Thursday evening properly. And that's how they torture Chinese prisoners is just like, have 45 minutes of sleep, wake up, have 20 minutes of sleep, wake up, have another like, fi- so I mean, I feel like I'm running on empty. And of course I did not find time in the melee to watch the disaster that was the Golden Globes. You can say it's because I had a brief stint in Los Angeles. I had a program on Netflix that maybe could have been successful, but wasn't like you could say that maybe I don't tune into stuff like that because I didn't make it. But I really feel no bitterness towards those people. I feel like they look gorgeous. I enjoy the red carpet the morning after when I can see the looks on Instagram. But I just, I do, I think maybe it's just my age and my place in life raising small children. I think it's a lot of like very calculated patting on the backs. And I think I felt like that for a long time about several awards. They're fun. It's fine. But I mean, like, who gives a shit really? And, um... I do usually enjoy the monologues, though. I think that Ricky Gervais, love him or leave him, I think he performs very well and in the past has done very scathing celebrity roast monologues. And, you know, that is the beauty of a roast. You take people who are high status, like A-list celebrities who've been dressed to the nines, hair and makeup dripping in diamonds, and then you pull the rug out from under them a little bit. You know, you deconstruct what they are and you, and, and then it's very attractive in a room full of assholes. It's very attractive to have the camera pan to you and you laugh at yourself. And then you go, um, oh, you know, maybe he's cool. And that has happened to a lot of celebrity careers after their own Comedy Central roasts. Like everyone was in a place with Justin Bieber that was not positive for a while, even though, what do you think a 19 year old's gonna do when you give him millions of dollars? He's gonna crash a Ferrari. But people were kind of anti-Justin, and then they saw him on the Comedy Central roast. He was able to laugh at himself, take ownership and accountability for some of his mistakes that the comedians were really expertly picking apart, and it sort of saved him in a way. They went, oh, you know what, Justin's okay. So a celebrity roast monologue at an evening like the Golden Globes, I feel is is a joyful honor. I don't think it's mean. Though in this day and age, like maybe we're moving away from roasting. I don't know why comedian Joe Coy was booked 10 days out. I assume that there was a list of more household names that were offered the awards. I haven't really read up on, you know, who that might have been. For whatever reason, Ricky Gervais didn't do it. Maybe wasn't available. Maybe wasn't asked. I have no idea. Joe Coy stepped in, and I've met him once. Like, I had a brief interest in Joe Coy as a person and as a comedian when he was dating Chelsea Handler. 
I think they had a really cute relationship for a while. I love Chelsea Handler. I was watching them ski on Instagram. She said he was great. And then they broke up. Fine. That's a successful relationship to me. I can't even say successful relationship without stumbling on my words. How successful can your relationship be with a man when your husband or partner struggles to have a positive relationship with wet towels? Where do wet towels go, lads? In the bed? In a heap on the floor? They attract bacteria and they smell. Plus, they leave wet towels around. Of course, I'm talking about men. Um, but you know, Joe Coy and Chelsea Handler, for whatever reason, didn't work out. Around that time, I was very touched to have been invited to perform at the Just for Laughs Festival in Montreal. And I was in the Four Seasons, of course I was, hotel, pregnant at the time with Fena and navigating, you know, Fred, trying to get him in the lift to take him to the swimming pool. And Fred had pressed a couple buttons. He was only a year. He was 13 months old. And I had Violet with me. And Joe Coy was in the hotel. And he and his little entourage kind of tried to get into the lift. But then we were going down to floors that were a waste of time because Fred had pressed the buttons. And I kind of panicked. I felt a little bit starstruck, I think, at the time, which is weird. And I was just self-conscious. And I was wearing a bathrobe. And I said to him, oh, sorry, I have too many children, which is a really weird thing to say to someone. And he couldn't tell that I was pregnant. He's like looking in the lift at like a teenager and an infant going, what? Sorry, I have too many children is what I decided to say. But I wasn't really starstruck by Joe Coy. I have never seen any of his comedy. I think I just felt excited that it's someone that's dating who I think is my friend on Instagram, Chelsea Handler. I don't know what happened there. I have not seen his comedy, but he's very popular in the Filipino community. He's a Filipino-American comedian. My sister, Carrie, is in a Filipino marriage. And so she and her husband and their friends went to see him in, I think, Toronto, and they were very excited to see him. What uh, ethnic minorities do very well, that women do horribly, is they support each other. So if you are a Muslim comedian, you are born with like 800 billion followers and fans because they go, oh, you know what? He's Muslim, I'm Muslim, I like him. If you're a Filipino comedian, they go, I'm Filipino, he's Filipino, I like him. Women go, oh, a female comedian? I really think women are funny. Maybe. Prove me wrong. Uh, and then some women aren't that way, but so many women are that way. Why can't we look after each other as a gender minority in stand-up <laughs> the way that ethnic minorities look after each other? Like, a Chinese person is never going to say, I just don't like Chinese comedians. But a woman will say, I don't think women are funny. Sort it out, girls. Joe Coy apparently wasn't funny at the awards. I tried to find a clip online and all I'm finding is clips mixed in with people's opinion of the hosting gig. I didn't watch it, but I've seen a few jokes written down. A joke written down is very different from seeing it performed. I think jokes are meant to be told in a live audience room, not necessarily written down, but he referenced Oppenheimer uh, up against Barbie, and Oppenheimer was about the Manhattan Project in a 72-page book. Barbie is about a doll with big boobies. I mean, who says boobies? And, and Barbie was so much more than that. And I know he was making a joke, but it fell flat. I don't really understand how he could have delivered that differently than I did. The audience was not with him. There were other jokes that also flopped, and he just struggled for 10 minutes. It's a tough gig which is why people turn it down. And it's even tougher in a climate where people aren't really looking to laugh at themselves right now. You have to go in like truly annihilating this audience <laughs> or don't do the gig and be prepared to make a few enemies, to hurt a few feelings. But at the end of the day, you're wearing $50 million worth of diamonds in an Oscar de la Renta dress. You can laugh at yourself maybe for one night. You're, you've won a Golden Globe, fucking relax, but I don't know if celebrities are prepared to do that. Joe Coy at one point blamed his writers, which is gauche. He went, well, you're laughing at the jokes I wrote, but not at the jokes I didn't write. And it's like, well, incorrect. They laughed at nothing from what I could see. But I will say this. I know that at a high profile awards gig like that, first of all, it's a tough gig because of the nature of it. Secondly, your jokes do go through different commissioners and different producers and people who aren't funny want to see a list of jokes and tick off the ones that they're prepared to allow you to tell. And that is annoying because these are not people who understand comedy, but they go, mm, I can see this not doing well. Don't say that and don't say that. And maybe Joe Coy and his writers and every host of an awards like that 
would have writers, many writers, whether they wanted them or not. They're just paid to be there. I did a show in America where I had two writers that I didn't want and I didn't use any of their stuff, but I appreciated them being there for like backup. And I understand the channel wanted to have them, so fine. And they were very talented, but I was at a place where I didn't have Fred and Fenna. <laughs> I had time to write my own jokes and I wanted to tell my own jokes. And sometimes their jokes that I didn't use inspired me to write a slightly different joke and it was useful in that way. But anyway, I have no problem with people using joke writers for that. I'm sure they had a bunch of good jokes, solid jokes, funny jokes. And then the producers went, no, 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 no. You can say big boobies and you can say this one. And you're sort of damned if you do and damned if you don't. Like, what are you supposed to do at that point? You can throw that away, which I believe Ricky Gervais is rumored to do. I think Ricky said, I've heard from numerous sources. He goes, I'll do the gig. You can't see my jokes. And only someone in Ricky Gervais' position could do that. I don't think I could get away with that. Joe Coy certainly can't get away with that. And uh, that, unfortunately, that is the only way to play it, to go, I'm going to say what I want to say. Because if you get your hands on it, you, and by you, I don't mean like one person. I mean like 11 producers because everything is so overpopulated by people who are trying to justify their own existence in America. Everybody has like 30 agents assistants, these like young teenage boys in suits who follow them around like lemmings. And I'm sure a show like that has executive producers, producers, assistant producers, they have everyone. And so many people have their eyes on it and they go, no, one person might go, I don't know, I don't know if that's funny. Is it just because they want to hear themselves speak? And then they delete all the jokes. And then you're left with whatever joke way, you know, the scraps that he was able to tell on the night. Is he a good comedian? I don't know. Probably. He has an audience. He's very successful. And he was asked to present the Golden Globes, but he bombed. And some comedians take great pleasure from watching other comedians bomb because they're competitive. And those comedians are men. <laughs> I don't want to see anyone bomb. Ideally, I think everyone should have good gigs. And it's more fun to watch a comedian. And I've seen comedians I've never even heard of breakthrough SNL sets where a comedian has had a storming monologue and I love to see that and learn about them this way. But I think that channels, producers, celebrities and audiences really need to give their heads a shake and go, we are not deserving of good comedy anymore. If we are going to be so offended by everything, if we're going to try to sanitize everything and edit everything and have editorial say as a producer who's never been funny over what gets articulated at an awards, then you, there you go. You can't have comedy then. And I'm not saying, oh, everyone's offended by everything. I think those are the famous words of every racist comedian. <laughs> can't say anything anymore. Well, you can. There's loads you can say. But in that context, when your job is to roast A-listers, I mean, it's tough now. And that goes out to a bunch of a, a wide world. They don't want you to. They don't want to take any risks. Everyone is very risk averse now. The best hosts I have ever seen are Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. They hosted together. They had really good, like close to the knuckle jokes that weren't hateful or offensive. I think Ricky Gervais does a great job as well. Why Joe Coy was chosen, I have no idea. But I'm sure that he is sorry he accepted the gig. I have been a long time non-supporter of Timothy Chalamet. I don't get Timothy Chalamet. I'm sure he's a talented young man and he is not for me. Do you know? I think a 40-year-old mother of three is perhaps not the Chalamet audience. Chalamet. Timothée Chalamet. I even feel like that can't be his name. And I, you know, you could be French. I feel like everything about him is fake. I... I'm sorry, Timothée Chalamet. I just feel like when Harry Styles does androgyny, I'm buying it. Sam Smith does androgyny, plays with gender roles in fashion, I'm buying it. But when Timothée Chalamet does it, I just feel like, it just, uh, I feel like he's doing an impression of everyone else. And I don't know a lot about his dating life apart from his high school girlfriend was Madonna's daughter. And now he's dating Kylie Jenner part of the empire that is the Kardashians, daughter of my heroine, Kris Jenner. So he certainly has a type, watch out, Violet, if I ever get more powerful. But I just, I feel, I did not buy their whole canoodling. Like, Kylie Jenner has never gone for anyone like Timothée Chalamet. 
Uh, Travis Scott even said that their, their canoodling was done purposefully to get at him. And I feel like that is such an egotistical position to be like, oh, everything my ex-girlfriend does and everyone she dates and everything she loves, she's only doing, putting on a display to hurt my feelings. All right, Travis Scott, I'm not buying that either. But I, I, I feel that in a less narcissistic way than Travis, it does feel put on to me. And why wouldn't a Kardashian have a put on relationship as part of the delicate dance that is their continued grasp of fame and interest. And these two as a couple, I mean, have captivated the nation. Apparently, Selena Gomez was seen lip reading to Taylor Swift some gossip about the two of them. But then she denied that. She said, no, no, two of my other friends hooked up and I was talking to Taylor about that. You have to be very careful gossiping or spilling any tea when there are that many 5K high definition cameras about Selena Gomez. Uh, you can't get away with anything. So who knows? Lip reading experts have said, she's talking about Chalamet and Kylie Jenner. I don't personally give a shit because I'm too old. I like to keep my foot in the world of celebrity culture. But with these kids, with these like Napo babies, kind of like fucking each other, I don't, I find it very difficult. I don't care. What is much more in my wheelhouse is the rumored romance between Meryl Streep and Martin Short. Martin Short is a longtime widower, and I know if you've seen some of his work, maybe you didn't think he liked women. He does. He's just very camp. He's not a toxic male. He doesn't have to do any, like, bro shows. He's good at singing. He's good at dancing. He's funny. He's a quadruple threat, and I feel like that's really hot. And a woman like Meryl Streep, so accomplished in her own right, probably, like, the hottest piece on the Hollywood scene. A bachelorette for a long time, but she has hinted that she's in a low-key relationship. And was she talking about Martin Short this entire time? The, the evenings they would have, the dinner parties they would have, and there's nothing about them that would need to put that on for publicity. Like, no one could need less publicity in the world than these two. And I love when older people get together, rumored get together, but if you watch them at the awards, you know, if you see the clips, there's uh, a lot of sexual energy happening there, a lot of good loving vibes. I think that people need to be reminded that love is not just for Kylie Jenner and Tamata Shalomah and young people like that. Love is for everyone. Love is for Killian Murphy and his wife who loves him so much that she planted big red lipstick on his face when he won and he had to deliver his acceptance speech covered in his wife's lipstick. Very cute, very reminiscent of Disney cartoon. Um, and love is for people like Meryl Streep and Martin Short who have lived lives and they're older and maybe a young person might be like, oh, oh. I heard a young person the other day be like, oh, my parents are still having sex. Like I overheard this on public transit. I found out my parents are still having sex. Oh no. Oh, not your parents, not the people that you hope would still be in a romantic physical relationship so that you don't have to spend every other weekend on the M25. Oh, not your parents whose togetherness and joy means that they can afford to send you to university. Oh, fuck. Like if only they could stop having sex, maybe one of them could go find a sex worker and like bang her in the ass, spend a bunch of your mother's hard earned money on that and then like come home and have a blazing row and then they have to get a divorce and sell all their shit and you get to spend time like watching your dad try to make a pot noodle over a fucking hot plate in his bachelor apartment. Oh no, not your parents still having sex. Parents are the ones who are supposed to have sex. Way fewer unplanned pregnancies that way. Way fewer venereal diseases. Sex is not for you. Sex is not for a teenage generation to be fingering each other like getting UTIs because boys' hands are dirty, getting into all kind of messes and dramas with each other and crying yourself to sleep. Like, ideally, only Meryl Streep and Martin Short, age bracket, would be having hot, hot sex. And I like that they're reminding us of that. And do, do I want to see them have sex? No. Am I glad that they are so far removed from the Kardashian empire that a sex tape of that elk will never be brokered? Of course. The talk of the awards was Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift was in attendance, and so all cameras were on Taylor Swift at all times. And Joe Coy almost landed a good joke. The premise was right, but even that, I mean, it didn't do well because people weren't on his side by this point, but he said, 
that it was just like an American football game and that something's going on, but nobody really cares about it. People are just looking for reaction shots of Taylor Swift. And this was very true. She is the lady of the moment, the woman of the hour, all that gets talked about in my house, of course, because I have a teenager. And I love that her fame has transcended generations because I loved Taylor Swift when Violet was just a tiny baby. I mean, my earliest memories of really loving Taylor Swift uh, were when Violet was five years old. So I know she was around before that, but she's still around now and we can all love her together again. And she's always on the right side of politics and she's, well, no, for a while she didn't talk about politics at all, but now she really gets in there. And that's the beauty of getting older is you have less and less to lose. And a think piece was just released by the New York Times that Taylor Swift's people are up in arms about because it pontificates over her sexuality. Apparently this has been discussed before. I mean, and... Taylor Swift is absolutely correct in her response because she says this article would not have been written about any man, any male career. You know that outing people is wrong, especially in 2024. If my sexuality was anything to discuss, then I would be the one to discuss it. And people have said, is she a lesbian? Is she bisexual? Is she whatever? Even though all of those, all of those, uh, you know, names for things, all of those are changing and everything's a lot more fluid. So it does feel very, very vintage and wrong to be talking about someone's sexuality. But my question is, why did she pull out the name Shawn Mendes? Was that like a purposeful dig? Just at the top of her mind, like, why isn't anyone writing about Shawn Mendes being, uh, it's not appropriate. You either talk about Taylor Swift being with too many men and too much of a whore and using all these relationships to fuel her work because, of course, a man has to be at the center of all of a woman's creative work and the inspiration for everything that a woman does has to be a man but at the same time you think she's a lesbian I mean which is it American comedian Cat Williams has given an interview on a podcast that lasted I mean hours hours and hours long where he spilled all of the tea like a Boston tea party of hot scalding tea and this is what we've come to expect from cat williams i've loved him for a very long time he is so funny and so talented that he's not really afraid to burn bridges he's completely transparent about his thoughts and this this is very refreshing in today's society where everyone's kind of doesn't want to bite the hand that feeds and doesn't want to upset anyone and really gives a sanitized version of how they truly feel. Not Cat Williams. Cat Williams was like, this guy's a joke thief. This guy uh, isn't talented. He's never been funny. I don't agree with everything Cat Williams says. Of course not. But I come from a generation where you can like someone and sometimes disagree with them. I feel like he's just so, so super talented and actually you might have seen cat williams because a british audience especially a young british audience you might not know him there was a clip that went viral very recently i mean this podcast has gone crazy viral especially in america and you can watch it if you have six hours to spare listen to it but um he was on a radio show where the host wanda something i'm sorry wanda i could do some research and find out your last name i'm sure you are very talented as well but you made the mistake of trying to go toe-to-toe with a professional in an arena of roasting. He was a guest on this radio show and Wanda decided to come for him for some reason with some playful roasting while he danced absolute circles around her, ended up burying this woman. It was such a horrible death that she had to quit her job or step away or fire, like was fired. It was such a roast that she actually combusted into flames and was fired. And that's what you get. I'm sorry, you don't try to roast Cat Williams unless you're some type of masochist. So he's just so talented. He's just so funny. But one of the things that he said, he said many interesting things in this interview, but one of the things was that there are women out here who can't find a man because they are acting like men. And I've heard this before. And it really made me think about, and I'll take away the word man because people in the comments online get so annoyed. Um, I'll use the word leader instead, because in many relationships, even same-sex relationships, there are people who have a more dominant masculine or feminine energy, and some people want to lead, some people are natural-born leaders, and others want to be led. And in a traditional sense, feminine energy is one that wants to be led. Uh, if you look at you know generations of traditional family values where the man would go out and work and the woman would stay home and look after the children, that didn't work for a reason. 
And my response to a women can't find men because women are busy being men is like, someone fucking has to. Somebody has to. When there's someone in the relationship who's meant to be the leader and is failing at their role of leading kindly, wisely, generously, gently, because someone in a natural position of wanting to be led with, with their feminine energy, no matter their gender or like whatever the relationship is, if you have a leader, this is what men fail to realize, I think, that leadership is about being clever and being competent and being generous and being kind and making good decisions for the holistic well-being of your family. And if you are doing that, if you are honestly doing that well, you will probably have a feminine energy partner who sits back and goes, great leadership. Now I feel safe and secure to do my jobs that we've agreed that I'm going to do. And whether that be staying home, cooking, laundry, whatever. Leadership is very taxing. It's exhausting. It's a lot of work. And what makes you think that every woman like wants to be dancing around doing all that in addition to the other things that women are doing? There are exceptions to the rule, of course, but in many cases, a woman, quote unquote, becomes a man because the man isn't manning. He's not doing it properly. He is taking his money and drinking it away on the weekends. He's being aggressive. He is like not putting his resources where he's supposed to. He's making stupid decisions for the family. And there's only so long that you can sit back and be like, all right, before you take matters into your own hands. And especially when you have children, this is why you see people walk away from relationships when their children are young, because someone in a new relationship where it's just the two of you, you can have kind of a shitty leader and be like, that's all right, I'll do my own thing. But then when there are dependents involved, if your leader isn't leading, then you go, all right, well, I'm not tolerating this anymore. I'll do it. I'll lead. And this is why, first of all, it's wonderful that women have independence. It is wonderful because for generations, if the husbands in those traditional roles were looking after their wives and being good leaders and not being violent or selfish or aggressive or absent or whatever, then the women would have been fine. That would have still been the dynamic. It would still be the dynamic today, but it isn't because the leaders dropped the fucking ball and then women had to regroup and revolt and be like, whoa, our leaders don't lead. Let's lead then. Can I get a job? Can I go out and do? Okay, because my children are actually at home starving because my husband and all his friends are like, you know, God knows, fighting or I don't know what they were up to. I've seen Braveheart once and I wouldn't watch it again. Um, and uh, don't forget as well, Cat Williams, I feel should know this. It should be more empathetic towards the like concerted effort by the very flawed American justice system to separate black families, to take black fathers out of homes in America. Like this is well documented that they would come in and find bullshit reasons to incarcerate dads and destabilize black families in America and probably elsewhere, but I've only read about it in America. And then the women, what are they supposed to do? Like sit on their hands? No, like these women learned to be leaders because their leaders were taken away from them by a very corrupt system. So don't ask yourself, these men are like, well, oh, well, what's one of my supposed to do anymore? The woman is leading, the woman's acting like a man. Well, what, what should I do then? Be more of a man. <laughs> if you want a traditional relationship where you're the leader, if you're an awesome leader, there will be strong women, smart women, independent women, leadership style women who go, oh, oh, thank God I can relax. There's a competent leader in front of me. So lead, lead well and you shall lead. Lead like shit and we'll come out of the woodwork and figure out a way to out lead you. I'm very lucky that I have a good leader in my husband. He is calm and he is kind. And yes, I'm out working and we have small children right now and we've decided that the dynamic is for him to stay home with them. But I'm actually very soft at home. I don't want to lead all the time. In my professional life, I'm very alpha. And so at home, I am very happy for someone clever to make a bunch of decisions. And I have been in relationships with absolute shit leaders too. And that's what made me such a good one. Let's hear from our sponsors now. And when we come back, there are hot, hot dilemmas, hot letters in the inbox. I cannot wait to get to them. So stay tuned. 
many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to Telling Everybody Everything. As you know, my sister Joanne uh, looks into the emails and she told me she was very excited about this batch. Halfway through the week, she messaged me to be like, great emails, Catherine. People were apparently moved by last week's episode, which is unusual from a little skank like me. Catherine, I'm the last woman in the family. Quote, adopt a granny. Love the show. I'm an ex-Brit listening from Toronto. I would love you to host a parenting TV show. So much lived experience and advice from you. And as you know, there's so much to learn as a first-time mom. I think you'd be a brilliant person to share all that parenting knowledge. Well, I have good news for you. And I'm sure you can access it with BritBox in Toronto. But just next month, February... I mean, I don't know if the date's released. It's released to me. It's February 5th on W Network, which is part of UK TV here in the UK. My new show, Parental Guidance, is coming out. And it's not a parenting show per se, but I investigate a bunch of different parenting styles that are maybe outside the box. I've talked about it a lot on this podcast leading up to it to try to find contributors. And you get to see a lot of my ethos of parenting and a lot about our family as well. I'm really, really grateful to the production uh, team, the large team and expectation, expectation TV, who are one of my very favorite production companies. I think they pulled it all together really well, and I hope you love it. But your email goes on to say, I know the smart old ladies hang out at the Women's Pond on Hampstead Heath in the summer. <laughs> That's true. And in the winter, perhaps, at the Oasis or any local pool with a sauna. Also at labor party local meetings in libraries, and as the writer said, at knitting or patchworking groups. My friends that work in senior homes tell me about fascinating women who live there who are pioneers in their fields, and I think you can adopt a granny too. So good luck on finding your surrogate mom. I mean, I have a mom. My mom's not old enough for what I'm looking for. I hate, you know, this really sounds like a very specific kink that I've got. <laughs> But I, yes, I agree, is that these women who have lived exciting experiences and amazing lives full of so much change. I mean, there are women alive today who escaped the Holocaust, women alive today who are on the Titanic. Like, so much has happened in the last 100 years or so. And I feel like we need to hear their stories. At the beginning of their lives, they weren't even telling their stories, and they're still around now to tell us their stories. Please pitch the parenting show. I have one. Well, thank you very much. And I do hope to find one of these grannies. If you are an amazing old lady and you want a local spot on my podcast, I mean, I should just move them around. Like, and I don't know. Very few women of the age that I'm looking for <laughs> have the facility to listen to a podcast, but a lot of them do. A lot of these smart women are a lot more technologically minded than you would think. But if you know one, one specifically, don't just give me like hunting tips, go to Hampstead Ponds. I mean, I know. I know there are old ladies hanging around there. You say in the summer, the most interesting ones are there in the winter and they wear yellow rubber washing up gloves to keep their hands warm and little toques and I'm obsessed with them. Another email about ancestral support. Catherine, I'm just responding to some of the advice you gave last week's listener who had lost her strong female family members and was feeling alone. I too have a very small family. And unfortunately, my mom is not a supportive or wise role model for me. And hearing you talk about being open to ancestral support from people in previous generations resonated with me. As you were talking about it, I got very emotional as I felt this feeling of nurture and support from women who have passed, particularly from a grandmother whom I never met. I always thought maybe I was imagining her or I was being weird. So thank you for what you said as I'm now going to embrace it. It's left me feeling lucky that I have that in my life. Yeah, you can't just think of people as being in this dimension only where you can see and feel and hear them. I went to an energy reader once who said I had all these guardians and a lot of them strangely were male. I don't, I don't, I don't know why any of my male ancestors would advocate for me. Or maybe they just had male energy. Like maybe when I die future mediums will read my energy as being very male energy. Women can't find a man because they're too busy being a man. 
Catherine, on the search for matriarchs. I'm gutted by the grief this matriarch-seeking writer was experiencing, and I love your advice. Our ancestors are always with us. You're so right that there are very deep, insightful, beautiful, lonely, older women everywhere, but if you want to find them quickly, controversial, but go to church. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's where they are, craving community and so ready to give, sometimes unsolicited, advice. I go to a Quaker meeting on a Sunday where you sit in silence for an hour and then everyone mills around and chats after or shares a meal. And my lot, at least, aren't a drop homophobic. Many have been activists their entire lives as part of their faith or even super religious. In fact, many don't even consider themselves Christian or believe in Jesus at all, as it isn't a requirement of being a Quaker. I've found so much peace and community and guidance here and space to connect with myself. 10 out of 10 recommend this to the reader or maybe a book club. Women are so funny. I love like the hunting grounds for flashing old women. Church, a Quaker church. Quaker, uh, oh, and you know, this is a gross oversimplification, but in Canada and America, it's sort of along the same lines of like Mennonite or Amish. It's not exactly the same, but you know, they have little bonnets and they did a lot themselves. Very little uh, access to technology and stuff. I don't know if that exists here in the UK. Do they have UK Quakers? Let's find out. UK Quakers. Quaker Oats. No, no thank you. Oh my gosh, Quakers in Britain. Yes. Quakers saving clothes. Quakers are a faith group committing to working for equality and peace. Am I going to be a Quaker? Find a Quaker meeting in the UK. Oh, Quaker faith and practice. Let's talk about Quakers today. Um is an attempt to express truth through the vital personal and corporate experience of friends. It's largely composed of extracts from friends' writings. The breadth of Quaker theology. I mean, this is a long thing that I can't really get into, Quaker theology. Let's find a meeting. Experience Quaker workshops by putting in your postcode. I'm going to put in mine now. Find these women. It's like Grinder, but for Quakers. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Where I live... And very close, oh, there are Quakers everywhere. You can find Quakers in New Barnet on a Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Finchley, Golders Green, Winchmore Hill, Muswell Hill, Hampstead, Tottenham, Watford, Harrow, St. Albans, Stoke Newington, Walthamstow, Euston, Ealing. Well, like, what? There are so many Quakers in the UK. Maybe this was a British Quakers in Britain. Where are British Quakers? There are people who belong to the Religious Society of Friends. Protestant historically or a Christian set of denominations. They're united by a belief in each human's ability to experience the light within or answering that of God in everyone. Is the sunset period of the rest of my life going to be experienced as a Quaker woman? Because I love a bonnet. Trust me when I tell you, I, you know me with the headbands. I feel like adornments, if you can't wear a crown, why not a bonnet? Let's look at Quaker fashion. Fashion for Quakers, not to like, you know, lessen. Oh, yes. These are nice lines. So the Quakers, just like all women from back then, in addition to the hat, which you'll get a better table if you're wearing a hat, you'd be taken more seriously if you're wearing a hat. They had like really cinched waistlines and A-line dresses most of the time. Ooh, that's a nice Quaker dress from the 1800s. Ooh, gray taffeta. I'm into it. I'm into it, Quakers. This is where I'm going to find my adoptive granny. All right, enough about Quakers. On to Munchausen by proxy, which was discussed last week as part of the news story that Gypsy Rose Blanchard is released from prison. Is she going to be a social media sensation? Is she ready for what the world actually looks like, not under the guardianship of her sick mother since deceased and the prison system? Catherine, love the podcast. Longtime fan, first-time writer. I have a wild Munchausen's by proxy story about a girl I went to school with. It was picked up by national news. It is sad and salacious. So strap in. When, oh, I hate using her actual name, but if this has been picked up by the news, yeah, it has. BBC News, The Times, Independent. All right, I'm going to use the name, but it makes me sad. When Megan joined my school around age 12, we were told she had a brain tumor. She was bubbly and outspoken, but something always felt a bit off. Each week, she'd come into school with a new medical device seemingly unrelated to her condition. One day, she'd be wearing an eye patch. The next, she'd be on crutches, though she told us she didn't actually need them. She'd be pulled out of school for months for surgeries or emergency treatment in hospital, but she'd return with a tan in the middle of a British winter. Odd but it would be outrageous to accuse a child of lying about cancer. 
Megan's mom, Jean, founded a charity for terminally ill children called Believe in Magic, which was hugely successful. They had meet and greets with One Direction, and Megan was even given an award by then Prime Minister alleged pig fucker David Cameron. Thank you. One time, Jean announced Megan's tumor had worsened, and they raised 120 grand in 48 hours for life-saving treatment in the U.S. Fast forward a few years, parents of other ill kids became suspicious. Jean was always vague with the details of Megan's illness, and it wasn't adding up. They tracked Jean's IP address, which revealed that she was not sending emails from hospital, as she claimed, but from Disney World in Florida? The parents then hired a private investigator who took photos of Jean and Megan disembarking from a luxury cruise. A scandal. A formal inquest was launched. It turned out Jean had embezzled 100K of the charity's money into her private account. This charity was shut down in 2020. The sad end to the story... What? Megan did pass away in 2018, but not due to this alleged brain tumor. She had developed fatty liver disease. Apparently, Megan's sisters, now estranged from their mother, believe that Jean was responsible. Although Megan was 23 when she died, a.k.a. legally an adult, she was clearly a victim, a child manipulated by an adult. Go on enough Disney cruises and you will develop fatty liver disease. But I mean, like, you remember what I said last week about the availability of vegetables. But holy shit, what a tragedy. And what's happened? Has there been no, like you know, unwrongful death suit brought against Jean? Where's Jean today? Oh my God. I feel like justice for Megan. Oh my God. And here's Megan meeting One Direction with Jean. Where's Jean? Megan Bari and her mother Jean did a Cinderella ball. Poor Megan. Parents turned detectives. So yes, the private investigator, the inquest, all right, Megan died at the National Hospital for Neurology and Neurosurgery in London. All I kept saying is, darling, if you want to go, please go and be happy, wrote her mother on Facebook. Joe was stunned. It wasn't supposed to end like this, she says. For Megan's supporters, there was little doubt who was to blame. She was hounded to death. But Joe, this is one of the like whistleblowers, remained convinced that Megan did not have a brain tumor. When the cause of someone's death is unclear, a coroner investigates what happened. So an inquest took place. In early 2012, we were granted permission to attend the coroner's court and listen to a recording of what had been heard at the inquest. For two hours, we listened to doctors explain what they had seen. Megan had certainly been unwell. Over the years, she'd suffered from several conditions, but all in theory, manageable. The inquest dealt with a shocking blow to the claims Megan and Jean had made over the years. Joe was right. There had been no mention of a tumor. According to a forensic pathologist, her brain had been morphologically normal. Several doctors, however, listed the other worrying details. One had concerns about the validity of Megan's medical history. Another noted Megan's opiate-seeking behavior. There was an attempt to obtain morphine using forged prescriptions. Megan repeatedly missed medical appointments and hopped from doctor to doctor. It wasn't a tumor that killed Megan, but an abnormality of the rhythm of the heart, acute cardiac arrhythmia due to fatty liver disease, likely related to Megan's high body mass index. Jean did not want to be interviewed but told us via email that Megan did have a pituitary microadenoma, a type of non-cancerous brain tumor. Well, no, she didn't. And the sisters, why were the sisters not done in like this? According to one of the sisters, Megan and Jean had a strange relationship with illness. If someone they knew was unwell, sooner or later they'd hear Megan had that same disease. Kate remembers family dinners laced with danger. Jean piled tins precariously on top of empty food cupboards, which would roll off and hit the dining table. So that was often covered in dents and divots. Jean wanted one of us to have an accident. The whole thrill of it, the attention. For Megan's other half-sister, it was even more personal. When she was nine, she was affected by a rash that caused kidney problems. Over the years, her condition deteriorated, and she needed a transplant? After Megan died... The sister had vivid memories of being fed cups and cups of salty bovril as a child. No wonder she had kidney disease. Was it a deliberate thing? Holy Christ. Where is this woman? Okay, you can read more about this if you want. I mean, check out the Kingston Review. This was the, um, the charity commission opened an investigation into Believe in Magic. We got to find Jean. Jean disappeared from public view after the charity was shut down. She moved to France, 
before returning to the UK last year. But that's not the end of the story. The Kingston Council in November 2022 published a safeguarding adult review into what had happened. All names have been changed, but they know it's about Megan. Oh my God. The review does not suggest that fabricated or induced illness caused Megan's death. I mean, and this podcast isn't suggesting that. Like, I don't, I don't want to be sued about reading listeners' emails and reading the BBC News website. But Jean is not clearly directly addressing any of the Kingston review. All she will say, this is the last time anyone heard from her, officially said, I loved and cared for my daughter. Suggesting I might have harmed her in any way is absolutely sickening. Megan was a victim, said her sister. She was groomed for this. God. Anyone has any more information on that? I mean, I, this, I do not like true crime podcasts because I feel like I don't like wallowing in these sad things that happen and like fetishizing them and like really digging in. It just makes me feel like I, I have so much empathy that I almost have to have a laugh. I can't even address it because it makes me so sad. Yes, I watched the end of Saltburn after speaking about it last week, and it's made me very sad. Sad things make me sad, but I feel like Jean's got a lot to answer for. Munchausen's is a horrible thing. If you have any more, uh, I'm gonna have to do a true, true crime podcast episode. There's no other way. This has to be the focus next week without getting myself arrested for libel. Jean, Jean, I don't know you, I don't know what went on in your family. Alleged, alleged, alleged. Pepper that through what I've all just said, but. This all sounds allegedly absolutely mental to me. All right, one more. He's now in a relationship with his foster daughter. Oh my God. What? Redacted. Genders and number of children changed substantially as specifics could make this not anonymous. Thank you for that, Joanne. Catherine, my husband and I received some upsetting family news and I'm still wondering how to respond. My brother has been divorced from his wife for a couple of years now. They share two small children who had been raising an older foster daughter since she was eight. God, give me strength. Some of the tension at the end of my brother's marriage was surrounding the foster daughter. I know his ex-wife and foster daughter were not getting along. Ever since the split, the younger biological children spend half the week with their mom, half the week with their dad. The foster daughter remained living with my brother. The upsetting news came a few weeks ago when my brother sent my husband and I a text communicating that he was now in a romantic relationship with the foster daughter. He is 36, she's 19. We believe her to be a vulnerable adult due to the various aspects of her situation. I did share this information with police. However, my understanding is that police authorities were already aware and being over 18 means nothing legal or non-consensual is technically going on. I'm scared that she'll never be in a position where she could choose to leave. She'd be leaving behind both her main figure of care and her new family. Like many 19-year-olds, I believe she's still financially dependent on my brother. We'd appreciate your input. My input on like what's clearly such a flawed system that allowed the grooming of a nine-year-old to take place. Like your brother is sick. He raised this little girl since she was eight or eight years old. And she came from God knows what to get herself in that position where she needed foster care. And even worse than in the Woody Allen sense because he presumably was around less than your brother this relationship obviously his ex-wife flagged it as fucking crazy and now he's in a romantic relationship with a woman half his age not just a woman half his age a woman that he raised as a child girl from eight who entered that relationship vulnerable in the first place why can't the police do anything about that like i get it she's an adult how many people are there in your family that this brother relies on? Like how many bigger men than him exist? Because if that was my brother, like we would be doing an intervention. We, every sane adult in the family would be like, good news, we're planning a surprise party for your child bride who's about to turn 20 and we totally accept you and we need you to show up at this and this place of time. And then I would have... Every family member, excluding the minor children that he still has access to every other weekend, 
I would have every friend in his life. Like who's supporting this guy's decision? Every person he knows, I would have his boss there. I would have every uncle, cousin, brother, mother. Where's your mom? I would have everyone in that room being like, explain to us how it's appropriate that you met this child as an eight-year-old and you started fucking her when? And now you're in an, uh, like, he is a sick fucking pervert. And I work hard every week to try to rebuild my relationship with men. Where are the men who are enabling this? You, sh- you do not need to be enabling this. You need to urgently be the voice of reason to everyone you know. Get some professionals in this meeting as well. Tell the police, like tell them something that police care about in this country. Like travelers might pop by. You know, I'm not saying that the, there needs to be a police presence with travelers. I like travelers. I know they have a very toxic relationship with police. Just get, say whatever you need to say to get the police there. Just to like, I'll come, I'll be there. I would love to interview your brother and let him explain to me why this is okay. And if it is okay, then he'll be happy to see me. And we could broadcast it on channel four because you know they love a spicy documentary every couple of weeks. I, this, my fucking calling is to be at this intervention. And I'm so sorry that the system has so badly failed this little girl to the point that she's in a romantic relationship with her 36-year-old stepdad. My God. Hmm. Please keep us updated how this is going. And like, if you are an organization that knows how to help this girl, then please reach out because it's like way out of my league. All I can think about is violence. And I know that that's not the solution to things. And I've never hit anyone in my life, even my sisters, not even with a hairdryer or anything my whole life. They can tell you that. Email Joanne, she'll confirm it. Well, what a, what a, what a week. Um, Why is that guy's ex-wife single? Is it because she's... Is it because she's acting like a man? Is it because she can't find a man because she's acting like a man, Cat Williams? Or did the leader of her family start getting off with their foster daughter? Thank you for listening to another episode of Telling Everybody Everything. If you have any information on how I can kill this man or you would like to write me an email, uh, murder is never acceptable, by the way. I was just kidding. Um, write me an email at tellingeverybodyeverything at gmail.com. If you have any leads, any news stories that you would like to delve into, I mean, what a week. What a week it's going to be next week. I'll see you soon.